Drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. It's Drive-by Cinema episode 45. Hill. I'm Rick, and here's my co-host, Paul. Sorry, I'm no, I'm the nodding Churchill dog. Were you impressed by my Swedish hello, Paul? Hey, yes, I was. Ah, there we are. This week's film and is what episode is it, Swedish. Richard? Oh, sorry. 45, episode 45. I think you probably already said that. Sorry to interrupt. Stars on 45. No one knows what a 45 is anymore, of course. It's an ancient artefact from a bygone era. I thought it was a brimful of Asher. Um, yeah, what is a brimful of Asher anyway? <laughs> Sorry, you can now see me. I put my video on, you can now see me do my Churchill nodding dog. You're nodding dog. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Oh, yes. So, yeah, so a 45. What's a 45? It could be two things. It could be a Colt 45 or it could be a spinning 45. A short play record. A vinyl pressing of a recording, a physical manifestation of what is now only ones and zeros. When was the last short play 78 made? Don't know. I mean, they probably still are, aren't they? Because they're very high quality. They're a 12-inch record. They go around at 78. That's a lot of information there, isn't it, in those grooves? But not not really worth the effort, is it, for that extra? Like, did your mum ever keep her records from when she was a kid kind of thing? Or, like, keep, did your mum ever keep your grandma's records kind of thing? Well... Vinyl, sorry. You know, I lived people. with my grandparents when I was, you know, young, until I was about 13 or 14. So you had plenty of HMV, his master's voices, to go through? What we had, which was brilliant, was uh, a, a sort of big band recording of a sort of swing called... What was it, what was it called? It was... Swinging Safari. Well, I don't need to stop you. The copyright. I need to stop myself. The copyright demons will get us, probably. Paul, I'm not going to stop you. You could. You just need. You need to recognise that you need to stop yourself. Is that what you're saying, Richard? I'm looking indoor for voice, the Paul. cover of Indoor the behaviour, Paul. Swinging you're, Safari. You're broadcasting to adults, Paul. I've got the Swinging Safari Play album now. I'm sure the copyright will be out of date anyway. Are you kidding hey, me? Hey, Google. Copyright is 70 years after the death of the... Hey, Google. Play Swing Safari for us. Who's Google oh, are you speaking your to? Yours, but you're on headphones. So. I'm on headphones, yeah. She can't hear you, Paul. She's not listening to you. She's only listening to me. <laughs> no, look, uh, what I can do, though, is send you this on the chat when I find where the chat is. There it is. Okay, so this is Safari Swing, or Swing on Safari. A swinging safari with Bert Kampfert. Check out the cover when it starts up. Polydor Records. Oh! I know this tune. Yeah. Hey, it slaps, man. I played this so many times when I was a kid. <laughs> Sorry, I'm making random noises there. 
<laughs> I think we all know that tune. I didn't know it was called a swinging safari, however. Well, that's the album's name. Oh. So, yeah, so rather like uh, the records or vinyl that my mother had that weren't hers, but were from either her grandparents or her parents. Uh, it was, I don't know if you remember, it was very thick, heavy vinyl. Yes. Did you ever get hold of that? Really thick. I mean, the stuff from 1920s to 30s, the HMV stuff that I played, which was terrible music, by the way. Just really, really heavy, thick, thick vinyl, like quarter inch thick, yeah. maybe, or eighth, eighth, eighth inch thick. But anyway, that's beside the point. Why are we talking about 45s, Richard? I have no clue. Because. No clue. You brought them up. I did, yeah, but there we are. We've just gone down a rabbit hole again. Did you have a brain fart? Oh, I'm completely compost mentis. I, I mean, I'm compost mentis too, but it's not like you to have a brain fart. It's more my kind of thing, I think. You said you had some stuff to discuss. Yeah, I did. But before we before we do that, let's just confirm. This is uh, episode 46, and today 45. At, I'm sorry. 45. That's, where, and we're that's gonna, where 45 came from. And whilst you're still on the line, guys, don't drop the phone call because we're going to be reviewing very soon. Let the right one in. So stay around for that. But yes, I had some natter to talk about, which was, I think a few weeks back, I was talking about, I didn't like the verbiage that surrounded posters about coronavirus on public transport in the UK. And I said it should be terse and more tersely worded. You Wear know, a mask. Rather than <laughs> wear a mask yes would be a good instruction and you said with an image too and I said yes that'd be great and I said sit apart and sit askance and you were like saying well I'm not sure that is better Paul you know and, and then I thought well we could say sit askew or even sit staggered sit staggered okay sit oblique obliquely yeah so that's all I wanted to say you know I, I don't think necessarily you had to use, you have to use askance you could use other words too that's true. Synonyms. Although there is only one synonym in the English language. Oh. Well known fact. Yeah. But then I looked, I, I happened to be on public transport again, and I looked at the instructions, there, and there were some sort of like sub, sub conditions there in the clauses. And it said, you know, I think it said you must sit apart and you must not sit on adjacent seats. This was the original verbiage that I objected to. Unless, of course, you are with a protected species of the humankind for COVID, for COVID reasons, or your partner. Uh-huh. Okay. And I thought, wow, you know, if, well, if we're going to get into details, you know, then we should have an aster- asterisk there saying, but not if it's your foot buddy, because foot buddies are not partners, are they? Are you not allowed to bubble with your foot buddy? Can't, you can't bubble with your foot buddy. And then, of course, it, asterisk, and, and, uh, and, and the asterisk saying, and don't try telling your foot buddy is your partner. Because because Bill Gates, yeah? This is coronavirus and you're injected with Bill Gates now, so if you've taken the you know, if you've had the if you've had the inoculation. So because Bill Gates, just don't do it. Just do as you're told. Yeah. And what do you think about this Bill Gates stuff? I mean why why did Bill Gates get embroiled into five G networks and coronavirus? Because he does virus antiviral work in Africa, is that right the reason? He's done a lot of yeah, he's donated a great deal of money to fighting Diseases and, and doing vaccinations. But does he have any track record on nanotechnology? Because no. this is the quantum no. leap, isn't it? You know, yeah, that's <laughs> We're being right, injected yeah. with miniature versions of Bill Gates nanotechnologically. It's know, not also. It's not really clear. What would be the advantage of microchipping everybody in the in the world? I mean, 
Sure. Well, so they so they obey rules on buses. I mean, I mean, sure. If you wanted to tr- to track and follow one person, yeah, sure. Invent a nano chip that you can inject into the bloodstream, which somehow powers itself or gets energy from your bloodstream and can connect wirelessly and upload information. That's or why. just use their smartphone. Or use their smartphone, yeah. But <laughs> if you inject everybody in the world, isn't all of the data going to be just like lost in a sea of noise? Are you not going to need enormous data centers tracking everybody? You make a very, very good point. I mean, I'm coming here from a rather more prosaic uh, area, uh, which is you know student analytics. You know, I mean, the point is you can capture the data before you've got to decide what data you want to capture. But then at some point, you, you've got to clean the data. Hmm. And then you've got to decide how to present the data, which, you know, somebody has to view it or some system has to view it. So you're right. It's absolutely not trivial. It's not a question of, oh, we can capture all this data. So 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 there we are. There's a whole zenith, isn't there? There's a whole zenith of data consciousness to climb here, you know, before you can go I Ching to it all. This week in COVID news, a load of British holidaymakers who went off to Portugal oh, as soon as yeah. they as soon as, they, as, soon as they unlocked so, yeah as soon as they could they were off there have now been told that they're going to have to quarantine when they come back in 2 days Arrive. time and so they're, they're all rushing to get back and they're all on the news being interviewed being mildly pissed off mm, 2000 pounds i spent on this and you know. <laughs> well don't spend 2000 pounds on a holiday it's probably not going to happen do you know what i mean it would be the sensible <laughs> advice I, you know, I don't, I don't get this. You know, the Greenfield disaster, I can understand. Yeah, okay. This was a fault, uh, a manufacturer's fault. It was also a, a fault in terms of governance and oversight. And those people need their apartments fully paid for. Yeah, okay. But when I, for example, you know, parts of the parts of the eastern east coast are falling falling off, aren't they? You know, Britain is the mm, east coast yeah. of Britain is falling off basically. So when you buy a bungalow that's twenty yards from the coast, right? Oh, it never happened. And and you get it for a low price. There's a reason you get it for a low price, isn't there? That's because it's not worth yeah. anything. Yeah. So then when it falls off the cliff and you say, "Oh well, I've lost a bungalow here. I won't. Re- 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 I won't. Oh, the government should be compensating for this. You know. I mean, well, my insurance premiums are through the roof, kind of thing. Well, of course they are. You know, you bought something cheap. You know. I don't think in those circumstances it's the government's job really to to say to, you know to to pat somebody and say, "Oh, I'm really sorry. You made a stupid decision. Got something that wasn't worth anything and paid the right price for it, and now want extra money." You know. But when it comes to flooding, I think we're in a real kind of between those two extremes, I think, you know, because like there's huge amounts of flooding in Gloucester and, and parts of Lancashire and up in Cumbria. Cumbria, just incredible amounts of flooding. And I think when those people bought the houses and they took out the insurance, uh, reasonably, there was no expectation that they were flood like they were like they're flooding. And it's to do with entirely human factors. It's not an act of God, is it? You know, it's to do with global warming, which... Water management. By and by and large, you know, we're all pretty much agreed it's 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 human effects that are causing this. I think there is some argument for saying you know compensation should halfway should occur there, but you know for these guys going out on holiday after in the middle of a pandemic, of course the government shouldn't. There should be no scheme to to give you money. You, you made a silly silly decision, so it is. I don't know if you disagree with those opinions, Richard, but. No, I, I fully agree. It, it's the definition of a first world problem, yeah. isn't it? When there are people in other countries struggling to breathe on oxygen and you're a bit worried that your 
holiday to the Algarve has gone a bit wrong and you might have to spend money uh, coming back through quarantine. Oh dear. Get over it. Yeah. To all our viewers out in Portugal, all this is out in Portugal. Get over it. Enjoy the sun for five hours before you get back on the plane and quit griping. Quite so. Let the right one in. All, all in Svensky. Yes, all in Svensky. Let the right one in uh, from 2000 and way back. Like, really old. It's not that old. It is. 2008. Is it? It's 2008. Yeah. 2008. Fair enough. If it were a boy, it would be pubescent and not wearing white underpants. Let den rata comma in, as, it, as they say in Swedish. Yes. Probably not. I apologise to anyone Swedish for butchering your language. And you've ignored um, my boy in underpants reference. This movie does start a boy who does start off in underpants, doesn't he? He's in his room, I think, looking out. Uh, Which is not exterior. a problem for Scandinavians. Whereas I think like now, this would be a problem for the UK people. So the Scandinavians are very at ease with nudity, and aren't particularly they? the threat of the male member, the adult, or the, or the boy male member. Yeah. They're not afraid of erect, erect members. So uh, they don't view the male member as having the, the, uh, the, the ability, the almost uh, totemesque ability to, to, to be a physical threat. It is, after all, you know, a several inch long inflatable balloon. I mean, <laughs> isn't it? Do you know when they tie, you know, the clowns tie the knots in those, in those little balloon doggies kind of thing? I mean, yep, it's, you're right, it's very phallic. Where, whereas um, in the UK, I was like, I, I mean, a few years back, I know there was a lot of excitement in London about uh, an installation or art happening, I'm not sure what you call them these days, where it was just, you know, a collection of male models standing on plinths, getting erections, and people being allowed to walk around and observe them. as Getting erections? Well, yeah. And how did they how did They were they well paid, that? obviously, you know. I want to really focus on getting erection whilst, you know, people sipping wine and eating, eating entrees that are, are chattering about your willy, you know. I don't think I could achieve that. Well, could that's you why you're that? not a male I... model in 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 a cutting edge British art installation about about the the threat or non threat of the uh, of the un, un, unsheathed male member. I, I don't think male models are employed for their ability to get an erection on command. That would be a porn star, <laughs> wouldn't it? That would do that. But anyway, what I'm trying to say is, not only was there prurient fascination with this, there's a lot of fascination itself about oh wow yeah oh gosh yeah is the male member really threatening or is it just the person that comes with it kind of thing and uh, I, i'm not sure we really i mean the scandinavians are great great at facing their nudity whether it's emotional nudity or physical nudity i'm, I'm just not sure we're still doing that are we we haven't really got there yet even after 25 years of terry christian and the word and and all that kind of stuff all those all those things that were supposed to democratise our idea of ourselves. It never really happened, did it? All this is to say, you know, we've got... It's very Scandi, yeah? This movie is very Scandi. It's a vampire movie. Oh, that bit, yeah. At its core, it's a vampire movie. In fact, it's sort of a good old-fashioned vampire movie in some ways, but it's told with a brilliant modern panache. So at the start of this movie, we've got a, a young chap. Yes. He's watching a new couple... Well, not a couple. 
a new sort of father and daughter, maybe. Don't really know what the relationship is, do we? A, a new family, as it were, father and daughter family moving in to the flat next door to, to theirs. He named be Oscar. He is Oscar, that's right. He looks a bit like Mike from Stranger Things, but with, with an albino albinoism. He's very blonde, yes. He looks a bit like Baron Trump. The poor boy charged with carrying all the decent genes of his family. And he looks a bit, obviously, like an albino, but without red eyes. And he looks a little bit like a younger Tom York, but with better hair. He also looks a little bit like (laughs) Shrek's son. (laughs) Now, he doesn't have a very happy life, does he? Because he's being bullied at school. He's a bit of an outsider, isn't he? He's an interesting boy. I think he's quite a complex boy. I, I grew I grew yeah. to like him. I quite liked him. I like the way he kind of sings to himself when he's involved in his little art project, which is cutting out newspaper articles about murders. And it's set in the 1980s, even though it's filmed in I didn't get this. I just thought, wow, these people are all really hip. They're dressed like they're from the 1980s. <laughs> and then it was like, oh, no! <laughs> It is the 1980s. I didn't get that for such a long time, Richard. I'm sorry. No, well, you know, it's a different country. It's not a metropolitan area of Sweden, is it? By the looks of it, it's quite a small town. So, you know, you'd be forgiven for thinking that there was some kind of local fashion. I didn't think that. But nobody has a mobile phone. General Sex Education, the the Netflix TV series. Ah, no, yeah. That that is kind of unhinged from time, Ah. isn't it? It It doesn't try to present itself in a particular... Era, Do you know Tales from of... the Loop? Tales from the Outer Loop, the TV series? Tales from the Amazon Loop, series. yeah, the other TV series. You know, all these kind of things made me think, oh God, this is really hip but modern day kind of thing. But it wasn't. It's, it's, yeah. it's strongly set and def- definitively set in the 1980s. Yeah. He's being bullied at school, isn't he, as Oscar? I'm not sure if you call it bullying. Is that bullying? It wasn't bullying in the 1980s. That was part of the course, I think. Well, they, they hit him with a stick at one yeah. point. Horseplay. Oh, it's just Rough housing. Okay. Boys will be boys. You know, literally, that would be written off as your son's too sensitive. He needs to grow a pair kind of thing in the 1980s. I'm pretty sure about that. Yeah, okay. Okay. He he does get bullied. And at some point in the movie, he he kind of fights back with a stick, somewhat explosively and violently, like the bullet do. And he kind of gets, I sort of, you don't see, but he kind of gets blamed for it all, doesn't he? Which is what happens when you fight back. Yeah, he whacks his bully with a stick on the ice lake. But that's quite a bit later. Because if the bad guys if the bad guys win the fights, then the bad guys make the movie. And whoever makes the movie is the good guy, you see. And often in teachers' eyes or whatever, in authority's eyes. If there's four of you bullying one person, then the narrative is always on your side, isn't it? So when you've bullied them and they explode the other direction, you've got the camera. You've got the cassette tape. Essentially, you know the voices of your friends are there to report something different, aren't they? So I think it's a common thing is that boys who are bullied, maybe not girls, but boys who are bullied, they often respond in an explosive and violent way eventually, you know, you know, the quiet boy in the backpack kind of thing, with the backpack. And I think we got some of that, but that's beside the point, Richard, you were saying. I don't know why I was talking about that. Oh, because... (laughs) Were you ever this kid that got bullied? You weren't, were you? You were tasty with your fists, weren't you, Richard? You let people know you were a mean street murder bucker, didn't you? Usually talked my way Uh, out of being The humorous approach. The witty approach. You became a likeable version of Chris Tarrant. (laughs) Well, thank you. Did you have any near scrapes where, you know, where the knuckle... were what was he called? 
What's the, oh, I had scrapes. You know, I had my with the bully or with collar grabbed and stuff. Oh, with bullies, oh. with bullies. Yeah, because I mean, having scrapes with your mates is one thing. Uh, having scrapes with randoms is another thing. But having scrapes with the designated class bully, with gripper, you know, is is that that's the one you want to avoid, isn't it? And did that ever happen to you, Richard? Did you did yeah. your gob? Oh, yeah. Did your gob ever get you into predicaments? No, my gob got me out of predicaments. <laughs> oh, they came looking for trouble. Okay, right, okay. Yeah, they they would bully me because I I was a smart and b spoke posh, didn't I? That was a problem. So I was a target for a bully. Um, but being smart, I was usually able to talk my way out of it. You see, I thought I was bullied, and then I realised looking back that I wasn't. Oh, you manned up, did you? No, 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 no. No, I mean, I mean, my adolescent psychology meant that I victimised my experiences in a ridiculous way. <laughs> really? And and now that's all stopped, hasn't it? Because <laughs> you never come off like you're the victim here. <laughs> I, mean, I didn't sign up for this, Richard. Anyway, so what I was going to say was, I, I remember one particular which I was really annoyed about for months and months and months, and I stopped talking to everybody in my form, which was, I was convinced I was being bullied. I, I stopped going to school at some point. My mother had to, like, drag me down to the bus stop and force me on the bus. Was We were waiting for some tardy geography teacher, who was also a PE teacher, as they always, always are, because they're useless at both. And both <laughs> subjects are unnecessary unless you're going to study geography at university. And anyway, so he was obviously late for class. I think when he came in, he said, "God, this place smells like a Montmartre tarts boudoir." Whatever oh, yes. that meant. But he was—he was like that kind of teacher. Like he was all flamboyant, and I'm Mister Whitting. None of us liked him. But it's a, it's a difficult reference to throw out to a bunch it of kids, is. isn't it? Yeah, a, a Montmartre tarts boudoir. You know, uh, it is rather. He's obviously hungover. As I now know, know how adults behave. And 20 minutes late for first, first class. But anyway, so he came in. But before he came in, a member of the cricket team and football team, who in my victimised mind I've decided were just sporty bullies, they'd push one another jokingly. And one of them had fallen across my desk. And I kind of swore at them. And he kind of picked up my pencil case and wagged it at me. No, in no particular way. And then I stood up and punched him. <laughs> and then, of course, he quite proficiently got me in a headlock. Proportionate. Got me in a headlock and started belting me. And he split my lip. And then the teacher happened to come in. And uh, I was convinced, you know, that I, that I hadn't done anything bad and that I was terribly bullied in the class and nobody liked me. The, the last conclusion was great, but it was mostly because I was a truculent, surly somewhat explosively violent outsider who obviously had an idea of victimisation that didn't really exist. But anyway, there we go, Richard. So, Well, he wagged your pencil case at you. Well, he got what he deserved, he didn't did. he? Do you still have a pencil case? I don't case, know, but, what, but at what point now do I play the victim, Richard? I'm interested to know. Does that ever happen? Where do you keep your pencils? You don't have a pencil I'm case. not telling you until you tell me how, I'm, how, how, <laughs> how I play the victim on this podcast. Well, like now, for instance. <laughs> that's, no, that's... It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. No, that's not victimisation. This is me being... Uh, Defensive. No, this is me being... Oversensitive. Yes, that's no. different. <laughs> okay, can we define this new Scandi thing? One, there's a thing about comfiness, isn't there? 
And two, there's a thing about Scandinavians insisting their word for comfy is so different from the English word for comfy. And there's no like translational no equivalent. You know, it's comfy, but it's not comfy. And three, there's this thing where they eat canned fish that would fish. make you sick if you even smelt it. Yeah. Hmm. Rotten fish, though, isn't it? Boy watches girl moving next door. <gasps> yes, and her name. He starts is talking. Ellie. About, she's called Ellie. Yeah. They start talking outside. They meet outside, don't they, in the night time? She's not moving alone, though. She's moved in with her mentor or, or guardian called Hakan. Oh, father. Hakan, yeah. They communicate, apparently. Did you notice that? I, I only read this in Wikipedia. They communicate with each other through the walls by tapping Morse code. Did you notice that? I didn't. I, didn't I did. Notice that. For the benefit of the listeners, Paul is nodding. I did know that. So, yeah, they have a... Well, he teaches her. He teaches her how to do it. He goes to the library and ah. learns Morse code. I didn't... I completely missed that. I saw oh. him handing her a Rubik's Cube. <laughs> yes, okay. So when they first... The Rubik's Cube, that should have that should have placed it in the 80s straight away. So it? when they first met, she's very standoffish and a bit weird. And he's kind of... Well, he's, he's, he's a bullied outsider, so he's not too keen on meeting new people anyway, is he? But he's, he's obviously fascinated by the young lady. So... Well, they're, they're like figures, aren't they? They're both kind of outsidery. And so they're drawn together. So they do that thing where they don't know how to communicate, but they use presents and activities and hobbies to sort of say hi to each other. Yeah, it's sweet, really. It's lovely. And she's clever enough, she does the Rubik's Cube, doesn't she? Yeah. I wasn't quite sure what that meant, really. Well, it... She just cheated. No, I mean, because he was... I think he was thinking like me, like she's just taking the stickers off and put them on the corners again. But then she goes on (laughs) to show him... And she, you know, she points out, you know, you do the corners first, and then you do the top midsections, and she had the technique down. You know, she she knew what she was doing. Oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah. Then, did you have a Rubik's cube? I did. Uh, I also had policemen come to visit my school, like in this movie, because oh yeah, the policeman comes. Somebody yeah, got murdered. Right. Is that right? Is that why he comes? I think it's before oh, that happens, okay. isn't it? But one of the things, oh no, yeah, that's right. One of the things that happens very early on is Hakan. Ellie's guardian goes into the forest, doesn't he? He does, yeah. And he, he accosts someone. No, yeah. He, he, he goes up to them and he says something Hi, like, hello. This is, what's that? This is Halthane gas or something? Mm. He's got a kind of medical mask, hasn't he? And he it? sticks on their face. And he puts it, sticks it on their face, yeah. And I wondered what that was and I looked it up and it's a genuine medical anaesthetic. Oh, Okay. And far more believable than the usual movie trick of putting a bit of ether on a handkerchief and wafting it near someone's face for 30 seconds. Because you'd, re- you'd need to really huff it, I think, when you ether to, to pass out from it. I'm saying nothing about my secondary school art teacher. <laughs> so, 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 yeah, he does that. And then, like, not in broad daylight, but in broad forest light... He proceeds to string up the anaesthetized subject and let their blood, yeah, into a bucket. Yeah, he puts a, he puts like a, a plastic bottle with a, a funnel in the top, and he bloodlets. And this them is like ten minutes his... into the movie or fifteen minutes into the movie, yeah. But he's discovered, isn't he? Someone is walking their poodle, poodle. and the dog finds the guy. Now, Richard, you're, you're skirting around this. You know what's what's oh. the name of the poodle, Richard? <laughs> Well, its name in is the subtitles. In the subtitles, they named it Ricky. They did, they but did. it didn't sound anything like that when she called the name. It, 
it sounded like the Swedish equivalent or whatever. Well, there you go. Big in Sweden, Richard, aren't you? Hey, nice little cameo. <laughs> nice little cameo. You you were a lovely poodle. Can't believe it. You also didn't recognise you. So no wonder you've asked to review this movie because you know you're an extra. Well, not even extra. You you're actually you know a real character in the movie. So well done, Ricky. You spotted a man murdering an, an adolescent child in the forest. You did nothing about it. You just stood there and didn't even bark. But dogs don't, do they? Typically, don't they? No, when they come across traumatic events like that, they, they they just tend to freeze, I think. Oh, okay. Interesting. So, well, it scares the man off anyway, because the owner of the dog comes up, and he's away, isn't he? He, he has to run off. And he goes back, and it, it's made clear that he was collecting the blood so that Ellie could feed. And since she didn't get any blood... She's obviously looking a bit worse for wear and looking a bit hungry. Now, nobody suspects him at this moment, but when they arrive in the apartment complex, the first thing he does is he puts cardboard in the window instead of a the curtain. Windows. Now, that's just like saying, hey, I'm the local crack dealer, isn't it? You know, essentially. Oh, this is a meth this lab. This is a meth lab, I'm you know. I mean, like, just advertise yourself as being a weirdo, why don't you? Maybe not in the 80s. But yeah, so we get a policeman like... Coming to the school, so we get a sense that something's going to go wrong. I think from that, uh, but we don't get a man with a snake coming to visit the school, which is what we often got at our school. I don't know about yours. What a man with a snake! Yeah, it's like, Hello, okay. So this afternoon, uh, here's Barry, and he's going to show you his snake, kind of thing. And you come in with a large, harmless snake. I think it was large, harmless. Yeah, snake. Think, like non-poisonous or non-venomous or, or, or non-constricting. Oh yeah, they're completely harmless. Boa constrictors. I said non-constricting. <laughs> So I didn't 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 you have a man with a snake going to your school just to entertain you for an afternoon instead of doing instead of doing never math? never nor can I imagine why anyone would want that. <laughs> teachers did teachers did that back in back in the day. Anything to keep the kids subdued for half an hour. You shouldn't be teaching kids that it's a good idea to be keeping exotic animals as pets anyway. It's not good. It, is it? isn't. Can I just say I wouldn't advise murdering people in Scandinavia. It's so cold as we find out. There's very little. Body decomposition is there, so... That's practical advice, yeah. Ellie, being hungry, she goes out, doesn't she? She goes to an underpass. And when some guy cr- passes through the underpass in the, in the dark, she leaps on him. It's quite a dramatic scene. It's quite good. It's filmed from sort of almost in silhouette from a way away, isn't it? She leaps on him and ends up killing him, leaving him by the side of the road. I think... Hakan ends up moving the dead body, doesn't he, at some point, because it seems to disappear, but he does leave behind some blood stains. So the the reason that he doesn't let her go out is because she's, when she needs to feed, she becomes feral feral and and she can't control her behaviour, so she would be easily discovered. Is this the idea? I think so, yeah. He's very protective of her, isn't he? And he's also, as we discover, he has to protect his own identity so that no one can trace it back to her. Um, and you know I think we sketched out the dynamics the tension of this film now so we've got this young vampiric girl building up a a sort of post-dusk relationship with her next door neighbour boy who she doesn't seem to want to eat while she does warn she says we can never become friends she says you know you can't can't get too close to me she says he takes all this quite matter of factly Maybe he doesn't understand what she's saying. I don't know. Meanwhile, her guardian is trying to go out and provide for her by 
draining the blood of victims. At one point, he finds himself in the school, I think, in the changing rooms, some some kind of... Was it because of a swimming event that was on? You would have liked this film, Paul. There's a lot of stuff around the swimming pool, isn't there? Hakan finds himself in the changing room, preying upon another teenage guy who was at the swimming meet. I but think. his mates are outside having a fag. He thinks that they've left their mate alone in the changing rooms, and he uh, has a go at him, strings him up. But there's the a power cut, which causes the mates to go and knock on the window of the changing room and say, hey, where are you? Come on, get out of here. So Hakan is cornered. He can't get out, can't get away from them. And he's concluded that in order to preserve his identity, he's going to burn his face. He's got a jar of acid that I think he's been carrying around. You saw him use it, didn't you, at one point? Uh, Or you saw it on the ground eating something. But he goes into the showers and he throws the acid on his face to, um, to burn his face so he can't be identified. Wow. He winds up in the hospital with a shockingly horrific disfigurement, facial injury. Ellie comes to find him, comes to the hospital in the night time, obviously. And she goes up to his room where, shockingly, after discussing, you know, what's happened and what he's done for her, he kind of offers himself to her so that she can feed on him. And at the end of which, she, he falls out of the window to his to his death. But she can fly, can't she? Certainly, when she's powered up, she can fly quite effortlessly. <laughs> yes, she can. So yeah, so I mean, we get a sense here that she's—I mean, she's a proper vampire. Yeah, she's not. She will even, you know, suck the blood of the guy that's protected her. When she needs that blood, yeah, know, she will render him, yeah. you know, hollow, a hollow vessel. Once she's once she's sucked the blood out of him, so we get that sense, and then she flutters off in a vampiric way through the window and flies away. So yeah, so and that's really where I lost interest in the movie at this point. Oh, should we just end it there yeah. then? <laughs> I mean, well, look, the- it held my attention to this point, and then I, then I thought, well, it kind of went off the boil at this point. The relationship between the young boy and Ellie, between Oscar and Ellie, develops. You know, they're clearly, they're clearly sweet on one another, to the point where at one stage, Oscar is showing her around a little hidey hole in the school, and he makes a cut in his thumb or his hand, doesn't he? Like to become kind of blood bonded mm-hmm. with Ellie. So at this point, at this point, he's he's still not aware she's a vampire, is he? I think he's quite surprised by her reaction because as soon as she sees his blood dripping, she has to walk away. She, no, she couldn't control herself, could she? Oh. She bends down, she licks it off the floor, and then she walks away. Yeah, I, I mean, she stops short of attacking him. She clearly likes him too much to do that, and she wasn't that hungry. But at some point, you know, they're discussing, you know, the fact that he's come to terms with the fact that she's a vampire, and she's discussing things. She's saying that you should become more like me just, you know, for a night kind of thing. The implication being that it's time that he takes revenge on his bullies, I think. Mm. It culminates in 
a scene. It is him taking a stick to somebody's head. No, it's after that, isn't oh. it? Talk about the scene in the swimming Well, pool. no, first of all, he takes revenge. He takes a stick to the head of the boy that's been bullying him. And, of course, inadvertently makes the boy go deaf. Is that right? Did he go deaf? He did, yeah. He certainly had a bandage on his At the head. same time that another child on the school trip, where they're on at the time, discovers another dead body. That's the body that Hakan had concealed after Ellie had attacked him in the underpass. He'd put it in a hole, an ice hole in the lake that they end up skating on. But in the big finale scene, they're all in the swimming pool, aren't they? Oscar is going there to swim and... Do weight training at the same time, I think. He's sort of doing... He's sort of been befriended by one of the bully's lieutenants, hasn't he? That kid who's a little bit friendlier to him. But wasn't this all a planned rearguard manoeuvre? On the part of the bullies. It was, yeah. They were just trying to lure him into the pool where the bully and the bully's older and meaner brother are going to teach him a lesson, which amounts to the older brother holding him underwater for three minutes. Now, at this point, the bully says, look, if look, you've made somebody deaf. Uh, if you don't stand underwater for three minutes, I'm going to make you blind. If you do stand underwater for three minutes, I'll just let you off with a scrape on your cheek kind of thing. Uh, and the whole premise was that Oscar was going to agree to this. And he says, oh, yeah, okay. You know, hold my head and put it underwater. Whereas, wouldn't he just like have swum off to the middle of the pool and wait for them to go, realistically? <laughs> Would that have been your solution? Yeah. The thing about Oscar is he's, he's very stoic in the face of his... He is rather. Uh, yeah. Yeah. ...punishments, yeah. isn't he? He takes a, a beating with a switch at one point without really flinching. Of course, what happens during this pool scene is, as he's being held underwater, we don't see it directly, but Ellie turns up to rescue him, and she is clearly laying waste to these guys. You see someone's body being dragged through the water, and then you see a—I think you see a head, dismembered head—fall into the the water, and then the dismembered arm of the older brother falls. By uh, by where Oscar was uh, being held under, and when he emerges, there's a couple of dead bodies around the pool, and Ellie's helping him out the water, kind of thing, isn't she? And they've realised now at this point that they have to get out of there. And the, the final scene of the film is Oscar is on the train, and it's in broad daylight, but there's a large box at his feet between the seats, and he reaches forward and he taps some Morse code on the top of the box and uh, he gets a response back in Morse code. I think they say kiss or something in Morse code. Aww. So it's it's like, it's young love and all that. Cuddly buddly bums. Uh, but in the middle of it all, she attacks one of the neighbours and doesn't kill her. And uh, so she, the neighbour becomes, is in hospital and becomes a vampire, doesn't she? Do you remember that? Oh, that's right. And yeah, the nurse comes right. in, opens yeah, does, the window, and she explodes in in a ball of she fire. Bursts into yeah. into flames. Yeah. yeah. Really, no vampire trope is left unturned un, or unused in this film. It's a very traditional vampire. It is. It's ways. like a, it's like an ethnic IKEA rug. <laughs> in that sense. But it's told in a modern way with a nice twist and with a fresh idea, fresh and. You know, fresh young cast. I can see why it's loved, actually. Yeah, so if you were going to give this an Ikea name, you know, like for the 
<laughs> the series. You know, you got Os- Oscar, Oscar the schoolboy. What would you give the name to this movie? Dracul, Dracul, maybe or something like that with uh, umlaut Dracul. over the U. <laughs> Come and buy your Dracul unit here at IKEA. Yeah, Dampier. So I thought it was modular Scandi horror. Not that it was Ikea esque, <laughs> but it was. Flat pack, self assembly. <laughs> Flat pack with some nice Scandinavian hues and tones and, and, and backdrops. Uh, and it had that Scandinavian thing where it presents human emotions quite, not in a deadpan way, but, you know, without any filters. So we got to see a boy being a boy and a, and a vampire being a vampire kind of thing. And we got to see the neighbours being that kind of. Almost half Russian Scandinavian drinking in cafes, knocking back the vodkas. What would you give the acting for? <sighs> uh, the acting I thought was good. Like 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 we were saying in the previous in the previous episode, you know, child actors difficult, isn't it? Really, particularly if they're portraying annoying characters. I don't think the character was annoying, and I don't think the child actor was annoying. And I thought he did a very good job, Oscar, as the main lead, or you know the. Half half of the main lead, so the acting was very good. I thought on his part, I, I I mean, for Ellie, you know, the character Ellie, the task was there was a bigger ask here, wasn't there? You know, she has to be a child vampire, uh, but shot in a kind of like real cinema approach. So I think the ask was bigger, and she didn't necessarily deliver on that big ask. But the acting on her part was 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 great too. So I'm going to give it an eight for the acting. Yeah, I think it was pretty agreeable i found myself rooting for both of the main characters and you know wanting them to succeed and stuff so yeah i'm i'm equally positive i think in general it worked so i'll give it a seven Uh and what about special effects oh well i like the exploding uh, half vampire then Neophyte, the neophyte vampire. I liked uh, that was good. Yeah, I liked the sort of Ellie, not seeing Ellie in the swimming pool, but seeing like you know, the her victims being trailed and decapitated over the water. You just saw legs trailing in the water. She threw them here and there, Uh, and I thought you know the the vampire prey scenes were pretty good generally, but I wouldn't say the effects built any level of horror suspense or tension that you might expect hmm. I mean it was all very laid back in Scandinavia and a lot of it so quite a relaxed approach to vampire movies I thought but generally the effects I would, I would score it a 6 I'm going to go 7 again Why? I thought oh, I just thought the whole mood of the piece which I think feeds into this as well you know it was a period piece it did feel 80s, even though you didn't realise it at the start. And the effects were good, you know. The the blood looked like blood, not like um, raspberry syrup on ice cream. No, it did feel very 80s, in particular the portrayal of education. There was a level of kind of sanity, kind of focus and sobriety to the whole education system. A lot of leather jackets and suede boots oh, and stuff. Yeah, and you know the sounds of uh, clicking heels on 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 well-worn wooden wooden floors, kind of thing. You got that a sense of solidity that you don't get in education these days. I think and that was quite well portrayed. <laughs> All right. So, what about though the fear factor for this horror movie? If indeed, it even is a horror movie. I don't think it was a horror movie, was it? 
it felt more like a kind of love story, a coming of age story. Hmm. You know, a, a kid battling with his bullies finds, you know, a way of overcoming his bullies by getting a vampire to kill them all. <laughs> but I'd never really felt very scared. No, no. I mean, I felt when 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 he was vindicated by the arrival of his uh, heroine at the swimming pool, and you know she dispatched everybody. I mean, was there a moment of shock or even disgust? Or no, no. I mean, it, like I say, it was quite it was, just cool. it was quite matter of fact how she was a vampire. You see, it yes, wasn't, very matter of fact. Like, yeah. um, so I'm not sure we can really score it in that sense. Oh well, there are horrific bits though. Like that guy's face. Okay, gore. Let's score it for gore. Gory. Yeah. For gore, I'll give it an eight, I think. Yeah. Bursting into flames, arms being lost, decapitations. I'm going to give it a seven. Faces being melted. Okay. How about the whole story? Yeah, the script. The script and the storyline. Well, it was charming, wasn't it? As I say, it's an endearing little tale. Well written and well observed. I think the dialogue is good, although it's difficult. It's a bit difficult to tell when you're reading it, isn't it? But yeah, I'll give it. An, I'll give it an eight. I thought I thought it worked very well as a story. It's certainly in terms of did I feel that the story portrayed them and led led you to view them as credible human beings? Definitely, you know, despite the fact it was a vampire story. Was I intrigued about Hakan and you know his role in protecting? His daughter, or you know, his. his or, or, I don't think we learn anything really about the background of the vampire and, and her no. thrall, did we? No, but I was, I was intrigued about, you know, the relationship and why he would go to such lengths to yeah. to do that. And I thought that was quite nicely teased in there. I thought maybe, like, but I, the relationship that Oscar had with his family was. Rather sketchily portrayed, I thought, and but it was there just to show why he was being bullied. I think the fact that he didn't have a close relationship with his father or mother, and so so yeah, it all made sense. I think the story and it sounds poor. What you do know what to say about it, and the characterisation that came with the storyline. So yeah, I'm gonna go eight actually. Finally, having having thought it through. All right. And an overall score then. Of... 7.5, a definite recommend. Oh, and I'll give it a bonus point for the good science of gassing people with healthane anaesthetic rather than the ether on a handkerchief. So, uh, yeah, for that, I'll give it a Cool music overall. and great sort of uh, Abba waiting for a train in the atmospheric Scandinavian night kind of vibe to the whole cityscape thing. Uh-huh. Okay. You, you can laugh at that if you want to, Richard. <laughs> I'll, I'll dub a laugh in later, don't worry. <laughs> and so uh, the great thing was at the end, we got to find out that Ellie is now an exotic dancer in New Jersey and that Oscar sells <laughs> e-bikes only for cryptocurrency. So... <laughs> no. I didn't... Uh, didn't is that an end credit scene no, that I didn't It get would have been nice if we found out what they're doing these days, you know. Because they, they disappeared into the thin blue air, you know. Well, you know there is an American remake of this film where you don't have to read it. And I'm slightly intrigued to watch it. But I'm not sure we can class that as our next movie in our sequence. Oh, so oh. We're at that stage where, 
where I hope you got something prepared here, Paul. <laughs> oh well. Alistair has suggestions. He has. Movies. I noticed so, Alistair's been very active on the suggestion front. The suggestion front on the Discord server for those who are unaware. He suggested the one that we put up last week a little bit, the Yellow Brick Road, which he initially said was a found footage film, but then said it isn't a found footage film. Yeah. Film follows a team investigating the sudden disappearance of the entire population of a remote town in 1940. Ooh. After watching the screening of The Wizard of Oz, everyone just got up, <laughs> calmly out of the cinema, and up a nearby mountain path. They'd oh my gosh, how crazy, how interesting, how weird. Alternatively... Yes. Oh, don't say any expectation or anticipation, but yes. Is there an alternative to that? Please? <laughs> Alternatively, there is a film called They Remain. Ooh. Also not found footage. <laughs> Low-budget sci-fi horror. Oh. It documents a pair of scientists assigned to a remote rural location uh, to research and investigate the land, flora, and fauna to determine if they have any special properties. Plot spoiler, they probably do. Which one of those do you fancy? Mm, Low-budget natural flora and fauna having supernatural properties kind of fast, or the former, I can't quite remember, oh, people disappear up a mountain... Town disappearing up a mountain after watching after Wizard of Oz. Yeah. I think it has to be the former, doesn't it? For, <laughs> yeah, just for potential comedy value. So that's Yellow Brick Yellow Road, Brick Road, the movie for next week. All that remains is for us to say thank you for listening and, and come again next time. Goodbye. Thank you.